The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Mark Roberge, author of The Sales Acceleration Formula. You're listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. My goal in this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by Mark Roberge, and we're going to talk about his book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, using data, technology, and inbound selling to go from zero to $100 million. Mark Roberge is Chief Revenue Officer at HubSpot Sales Products. Prior to this role, Mark served as HubSpot's Senior Vice President of Worldwide Sales and Services from 2007 to 2013, during which time, now listen to this, he increased revenue over 6,000% and expanded the team from one to 450 employees. Among other achievements, this placed HubSpot at number 33 on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies list. Mark earned an MBA from MIT and a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Lehigh University, go Mountain Hawks. Mark has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes Magazine, Inc. Magazine, Boston Globe, TechCrunch, Harvard Business Review, and many others. And Mark was ranked number 19 on Forbes' top 30 social sellers in the world list. Mark, congratulations on the sales acceleration formula and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. Excited to be here. Mark, I am now going to say something that I will probably never, ever be able to say to any other guest on the Marketing Book Podcast, and that is, I have met your parents. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's, uh, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'll never be able to say that again to anyone else, but it was, it was great. And I should also add just a little bit of rock trivia there. There is another very famous... MIT grad and a mechanical engineer who has a master's from MIT. And that person, do you know who that is? No. Tom Scholes, the Oh, uh, really? the founder of the band Boston. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yes. <clears throat> I had no idea. I'm going to have to look that up and and start <laughs> referencing that. I thought you were going in the direction there is a, a an up and coming like pretty famous rock star named Mark Roberge. Um, oh, he spells okay. it M A R C. And uh, he he comp- we're we're constantly competing as new social networks come out <laughs> to try to get the first Mark Roberge. Right. And uh, and uh, I thought that's the direction we're going, but I had no idea. I'll have to check him out. That's very cool. Well, some year, if uh, at the inbound conference that that HubSpot has, if you get Boston as the performers, I'll, I'll know it was through a connection that. that <laughs> there you go. That you have. Now. This is a sales book. This is the marketing book podcast. But in my mind, I don't think that marketing people can learn enough about sales. So if every other interview is about sales, I, I think that makes marketers better off. So yeah, Douglas, I think I think you're right in that in that 
connection. I think you know marketing. The world between marketing and sales is blurring these days, and marketers are asked to be more like salespeople, and salespeople are asked to be more like marketers. So, um, you know, I think I think you're right in this direction. So, one of the many things about the book that was so interesting is your own story about having not been a, a salesperson, but as uh, an engineer, or as you describe it, as a quant. And how did your I guess lack of sales background help you in 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 building the or, the sales organization at at HubSpot. Yeah, it, it turns out that it it actually did, and it was completely non intentional and not part of anyone's journey. And then in terms of them hiring me, in terms of me coming on board uh, to actually do that. But uh, for me, I mean, I was just landed in this in this role for a variety of reasons, and and leaned into my quant background and metrics orientation to life. Largely due to survival. <laughs> you know, this is this is kind of a garage band at the time, and we had a lot of risk associated with the business. And I was just at a stressful point in my life as a new father and a new homeowner and a recent graduate of a business uh, of, of business school with a lot of loans. That when I'm under stress, I want things to be predictable, and I want to lean into data. Um, so it uh, that's the reason for doing it. Uh, it turned out that it it was really great timing for that perspective in the world of sales. Um, you know, I think sales over the decades has been associated more with an art form rather mm-hmm. than a science. It's one of those odd functions that um, probably you know is arguably one of the most you know important functions in terms of its its contribution to the overall sex- success of an organization, especially a startup. And yet, it's not taught in school. You know, there's not a ton of textbooks around it. People don't have degrees in sales. And now with, you know, more and more buyers starting online and having power with more and more teams, sales teams going inside with evolving uh, better sales software and access to data and tracking, uh, you know, activities uh, more automatically, a more scientific process oriented approach to sales is justified. And so uh, it was, it was really good timing for this perspective. And it also seems like since you were hired as the to lead the sales, you were one of the very first employees. There was no one else there saying, oh, no, that's not the way we've always done it. <laughs> yeah. To, so to combine with that context, having no experience in it, but also being having a, a clean slate, you mm-hmm. know, with, without any organizational biases, without any other leadership biases. It's just I was given the freedom by our leadership, you know, by our CEO, Brian Halligan, to kind of play with these things. In fact, he encouraged it. And uh, it was that perspective combined with the context that I was going into that made it happen. And that was significant, I think, because he had such a background in sales. Yeah, he did. And, and you know, it's, it kind of was a testament to his view on the world, too, which is he almost always wants to try to do things differently than has been done before, <laughs> which, you know, can be bad in some situations, but it's really good, especially as a CEO, to try to test the, the boundaries of of. of traditional thinking and try to innovate. Uh, and in this case, uh, you know, it was it was great, you know, especially for the first couple of years. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of assumptions that are challenged at HubSpot and, mm-hmm. and have been. And I've also heard that a lot of meetings internally, people say, let's start with the numbers. <laughs> yeah, the saying, in God we trust, all else bring data. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I think in general... In general, I think I personally believe in it quite a bit, like a metrics-driven management style. You know, there are a lot of big decisions, I think, that are made blindly. 
within organizations. Now, you can go too far, right, and just live by the data. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, we still have to lean into our gut instincts at time, at times. But I think more so than many, many companies, especially at our size, we, are, we invest a lot in, in getting that data, getting accurate data, and driving our decisions based on it. Mm-hmm. So the book, uh, now that we've talked about lots of math and you know, engineering and formulas. The book is basically broken down into four formulas that you have experimented with and tested and, and refined over the years to get the results that we talked about in the beginning. And for the listener, you, you mentioned formulas. You're, you're referring to the collection of repeatable processes, metrics, and calculations used to complete your mission of generating predictable scale. So the first one is the sales hiring formula. And one of the main takeaways is to hire the same successful salesperson every time. And I wondered if you could talk a little about this formula. And there's a couple points that were very interesting to me. One is you said don't hire an agency, (laughs) recruiting agency, build your own. And successful salespeople never have to apply for a job. Yes. So yeah, good point, Douglas, that, you know, not to scare away the listeners here. What I mean, I don't mean by formula A plus B equals C. I wish sales was that simple. (laughs) But what I do mean is really a consistent process here. Sometimes it involves a little bit of metrics um, in order to derive what hopes to be the right answer to scaling revenue at your business. And within the world of, of hiring, there's a bunch of things we can talk about and direct me toward your specific interest. At the end of the day, I think the the biggest underlying mistake that many organizations make with hiring is they're first off, um, they don't seek out that predictable path to a successful hire, especially in sales. And uh, second off, they they lean too much on other or people who are successful, other organizations' contexts and assume they'll be successful at theirs. And especially in the world of sales, you can take advantage of the fact that of any other function, Sales is probably the most quantifiable as to whether someone succeeds when they join your organization or not. It's very hard to quantify if an engineer is doing well or if someone in finance or someone in marketing. But in sales, it's the most quantifiable role around success. And so what I did was when I start, first started hiring the salespeople here, I very simply wrote down the 10 criteria <clears throat> that I thought would correlate with success in our environment. I clearly define what each one was, and I clearly define what a score of a 1, a 3, a 5, a 10 would mean against that criteria. And I was disciplined upon every interview, and especially every hire, to just score our candidates against that. And, you know, nothing revolutionary there. It actually follows probably a model that a lot of, you know, management consultants might recommend in good hiring. And what was interesting, after, you know, a couple of months, I'd hired a handful of people, it was very interesting to go back and look at those scores and think about how these people were doing. Some of them were rock stars. Some of them were mediocre and start qualitatively correlating what I observed at the interview that predicted success versus not. Mm-hmm. Which of these criteria seemed to be very powerful? Which of them did not? Which of them should I remove? And looking beyond the 10 criteria, what was I missing? As I looked at the great performers and the bad performers or the mediocre performers, were there aspects of their backgrounds that I should add in here? 
And, you know, a year or so in, it wasn't long until I had enough data to actually do a regression analysis. <laughs> now, that's where it gets scary. Um, and that's where you can kind of go to your favorite local school and find a PhD in stats who will drool over this information. And they can come back to you with a statistical regression is to, to actually start uh, hiring salespeople very predictably. Now, not every organization needs to get there, but you get the point. Just following this process allows you to basically engineer your ideal sales hiring formula, which is going to be different than other organizations because their sales context is different. And you don't have to hire a PhD to do a regression analysis. You just follow. These were sort of like, um, you can go as far into this as you like, but these were like guardrails to uh, or, or rear view mirror so that you could look in there and start to see you know, uh, what kind of results you were getting. What was really interesting to me is when you then, uh, it's sort of a reveal, and you talked, you showed what the most important attributes were looking back. And you mentioned that two of the most successful things were salespeople who are intelligent and helpful rather than aggressive and high pressure are more successful with today's empowered buyer, and, and particularly in the, the, the issue that you had selling your, your uh, software subscriptions. Yeah, so, you know, I think a lot of folks have talked about these days the buyer is much more empowered, which is completely true. Mm -hmm. The internet has has changed their empowerment as well as the way they they perceive the buying process, and it's also completely changed their dependence on salespeople, which is completely true. Mm -hmm. And when our first regression analysis, you know, characteristics that you typically associate with a good salesperson like their ability to close, their ability to handle objections and think quickly, how convincing they are. They actually were negatively correlated with success in mm -hmm. our model. I couldn't and, believe that. Yeah, and, and, and characteristics that you associate more with like a consultant or a trusted advisor, things like intelligence and domain knowledge and, and um, you know, how, how you know, helpful they were. Like when I go see a doctor. Exactly. And that's, that's I think, I personally believe that of if we go outside the world of sales, the doctor represents a very analogous profession as to where we should try to move our salespeople to. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, a doctor really kind of is selling. They come in, they diagnose your issue, and they prescribe medication or treatment or whatever. And that's what sales a great salesperson does. So it's a little bit of a simplified blueprint as what we should be striving for in our teams. Well, I think the doctor uh, has an interest in successful outcomes too. For sure. And sh so should salespeople. So the, uh, the next part is the sales training formula. And you said it's very important to train every salesperson in the same way. So why are ride-alongs or mirroring an experienced salesperson by a new salesperson such a bad idea? And this is, a, you know, these ride-alongs, these mirroring, this is very common when I, when I go out and would ask heads of sales, how do they train their new salespeople? Mm -hmm. They essentially just said, yeah, you know, they'll sit them next to their top performers for a month or two and that's their training. Mm -hmm. And what I found was our top performers, as you know, the years evolved and, and we had dozens and dozens and hundred uh, salespeople there, you know, they, you know, even though there was that consistent foundation, they all had these like unique superpowers that they brought to the table that th that allowed them to exceed, you know, to really perform. Some were amazing rapport builders, and some were really high activity players, and they leaned into these strengths. And when you 
when you sit when you rely on a ride along or sitting next to someone it's all too easy for them to pick up bad habits from even those top performers and also not appreciate the unique strengths that they're going to bring to the table in the sales process so what's best is instead to take a step back and define your generic buying journey define the sales process that you're going to use to to support that buying journey Define the qualifying matrix in terms of the information that you want your salespeople to uncover from your prospects to see if you can actually help them or not, and then train them on that process. And, and that's going to allow that it's going to give them the room to innovate and to apply their own personal style, but also create predictability in how they're actually going to work those leads. And you show examples of how a new salesperson with particular strengths might get paired up with a completely different kind of person with different strengths, and that new person's going to think, oh, I'm not going to be successful. I'm going to be a failure because I'm, I'm not like that person. Yeah, if they have different strengths, correct. They may, they may lose confidence right off the bat because they don't sell that way, and yet in the end, their, their style could work as well. Mm -hmm. So the next one is the sales management formula, and uh, you talk about why the, the great sales managers now need to be coaches. Why is that? You know, I think so many sales managers look at their job as just managing the forecast. And today, you know, there's tools that can actually do that. The biggest driver in, you know, revenue performance, I believe, is great frontline coaching on your sales team, right? And even folks who've had, you know, multiple decades of success in sales, they're not equipped on day one to succeed in your environment. You know, there's always uniquenesses to your context, whether it's the buyer, whether it's the market, whether it's the product that need to be developed. And the, it's the manager's job right on the front line to do that. The quicker and more effectively they can do it, it's going to drive productivity. And so when I talk about great coaching, I make an analogy to sort of a golf pro. And, you know, I've taken a couple golf lessons over the years. One golf pro said, you know, Mark, take a swing. And he looked at that swing. And he said, okay, turn your grip over a little bit, lean back in your stance, put more weight in your right foot, think one o'clock, not two o'clock in the backswing, and give me more wrist on contact. And I was just completely <laughs> and, lost, and you right? kept golfing after that? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, come on. Another pro said, Mark, take a swing. And then he said, okay, try this grip. And he had me take 100 swings, and 20 minutes later, he said, how's that feel? I said, mm -hmm. I can feel some improvement there. Then he said, now try putting more weight in your right foot. Take another 100 swings. And so, you know, it's a really simple analogy, but pretty much every manager I've promoted took the stance of the first golf pro <laughs> and really saw the gap between that new hire and where they wanted them to be and just threw on up on them for, with 90 minutes of feedback. Yeah. And it's the more experienced, you know, successful coaches and managers that can look at that gap and see the whole thing, but narrow it down to the one or two things that are going to make the biggest impact and customize their coaching to that, you know, and, and really isolate that. And, and they do that diagnosis through metrics, right? So the more that they can, you know, we, we expose a whole bunch of data about our, each individual salesperson's performance, and the more that the salesperson and the manager can absorb that, use those metrics to do a proper diagnosis, just like a doctor. And then once that diagnosis is done, whether it's the connect call or discovery call or generating sense of urgency with their prospects or you filling your pipeline more effectively, whatever it is, to personalize the coaching to that and see if they can overcome that obstacle as quickly as possible. That's really great sales coaching.
Mm -hmm. Now let's go to the last uh, of the formulas, and this is the one that's going to be of greatest interest to the to the marketers, I'm sure. And it's the demand generation formula, and you talk about flip the demand gen formula and get buyers to find you. And you, this is one of the parts of the book that just I chuckled when I read it because you you talk about how you give these talks to business people and you ask a series of questions. Like, have you been cold called in the past six months? Um, <laughs> have you received a piece of direct mail you didn't want? Have you done a Google search to find something? Or, you know, have you, have you asked your friends or heard about something through social media? And then I think what you do is you say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you, you then say they all sort of realize, oh, yeah, I, I hate getting cold calls. Uh, <laughs> I hate being bothered, but I do like to find information on my own. How is that uh, illustrative of, of the way these organizations should be thinking about their demand generation? Yeah, I mean, it's every, the, the results of that, that questioning sequence, whether I'm doing it to senior citizens or, or MBA students or engineers or scientists, it's always the same. Like They hate being interrupted. They hate the cold calls. They don't go to trade shows anymore. They ignore advertisements. They go to Google. They go to social media. They rely on their network of friends. They rely on the internet to drive that buying decision. And yet, when I repeat that questioning and ask them where they're investing their budgets, <laughs> you know, how much are you spending on cold call and how much are you spending on advertising, how much are you spending on, on you know, unsolicited email to people who don't know who you are versus how much are you spending on driving a blog and eBooks and ranking in social and and you know, creating great landing pages. Mm -hmm. You know, it's there's a huge opportunity for almost every business. Why is it that so many companies are are holding on to that? Is it because of inertia? Yeah, it's the resistance to change. I mean, why when you look at the top 500 companies on the stock market 30 years ago, I think only 40 are left. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just it's human nature. You know, mm -hmm. it's just your own habits. It's it's not wanting to have to learn a new area. It's not. It's wanting to slow the pace of change. And some businesses really lean into it and they're excelling and others are, you know, are being disrupted to some degree. So, um, so, you know, this is a really important concept that fortunately over the last five years, I've seen more and more people shake their heads around. And now the challenge is actually simplifying the execution around it. That's really where people get stuck. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the book takes you all through this, but as it relates to sales in terms of the different way of selling to an inbound lead that has come and, and found you online and provided some information like an email address and maybe downloaded some really valuable content, it still seems like there's a bit of a, a train wreck in terms of salespeople treating them like they're at the beginning of their journey rather than educating themselves. And in the book, you talk about don't pass all the leads to sales. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. This transformation is not just necessary at the marketing side. It's also necessary at the sales side. And what happens is classically trained salespeople are used to being provided with a list or, God forbid, the the yellow pages, you know, just to start <laughs> finding people to call. And they're very good at finding the perfect role in the company to go after, and they're very good at crafting a cold call elevator pitch for that perfect role. And as we, as companies transform to this more modern approach to sales and marketing, as they start attracting prospects to their websites more aggressive, you know, more successfully, and converting inbound leads for salespeople to call, what happens is 
that lead feels a little bit different. You know, it might not, it usually isn't the CEO from the company, right? Mm -hmm. That these salespeople are used to calling. Sometimes it's a middle manager or even lower. But that doesn't mean it's not good. Yes, the person that downloaded the ebook isn't a buyer, but the fact that they went out there and did the search and downloaded the ebook is a trigger event that represents that something strategically is happening at that company that correlates with the value that you, your company brings to the market, mm -hmm. which is even more valuable, obviously, than a cold call. So there's a huge opportunity here. The problem is the classically trained salesperson calls on that lead and in the same way that they'd call the CEO with the same you know, elevator pitch that is appropriate for the CEO and everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, what happens is, to your question, these marketers start having success with inbound marketing. Suddenly, they've got 100, 200, 500 inbound leads coming in, but they're not all a good fit for the company. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, let's say only a third of those leads are a good fit for the company. Let's say only whatever, you know, 100, you know, 133 out of the 500 or whatever are a good fit. I guess it would be 333 out of the 500 are a good fit for the company. Well, if you pass all, all 500 over to the organization, over to the sales team, then they're going to hate you to have to crawl through all those leads. But if you only pass over the third that are good, you're going to look like a rock star to that, to that sales team and they would think you're the best marketer in the world. So you absolutely have to filter those leads a little bit more. This is kind of a new concept for, for marketers. Yeah, don't um, give them all sales. the leads. Yeah, don't give them all. And then, and then the sales team has to transform the way they engage with them to you know, appreciate that this may not be the buyer and either call the buyer knowing that there's something going on at the organization or engage with a contact on the lead but in a helpful way and build that trust, and then you can start navigating the sale from there. Because mm -hmm. when I hear an organization where, I mean, you can bring to mind the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm -hmm. Alec Baldwin scene when uh, Jack Lemon says, the leads are weak. <laughs> a, a good marketer never wants to hear, now the salespeople say that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So just let me wrap up with this uh, uh, one last question about the book. And uh, this one point you make as, as it relates to, you know, sales and marketing and the, the traditionally the the salespeople would say, you know, those, those marketing people, they're a bunch of arts and crafts party planners and they wouldn't know a good lead if it punched them in the face. And the marketing people say, oh, those salespeople, they're a bunch of self-centered cowboys who don't follow up on leads. Why is this dysfunctional relationship between sales and marketing now the kiss of death in this new buyer-driven world? Yeah, that really has been the relationship for decades in my experience and when working with organizations. And it was fine for these two groups to go back to their corners and sales cold call and, and, and marketing work on their branding and exercises in their trade show booth. But today, because buyers start their buying journey online, there really needs to be a collaboration here. There really needs to be a seamless handoff back and forth between marketing and sales, where marketing is responsible for the initial awareness and driving the education you know, as deeply down the buying journey as possible, and then strategically handing it off to sales without losing any context um, and, and passing that complete context over the salesperson to keep that conversation going in more of a human format. Right? So for those that haven't cracked this, you're at a huge market disadvantage to the competitors that are coming in there and, and operating in this way. Mm -hmm. Mark, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Don't 
Don't feel like sales needs to be an art. That's not going to scale for you. Seek out the metrics, seek out the process, seek out the predictability. Great. Quick question that's popular with the listeners. Are there any recent sales or marketing books that you read and, and recommend? Yeah, I'll give you two. One that I just read this past weekend a little while. It took me a little while to get to it was The Hard, the hard Things About Hard Things, I think it was called, by Horowitz. Awesome, awesome book about just uh, sales and marketing and business entrepreneurship in general. I loved it. Um, I think the other one is just if you haven't got it, go get Inbound Marketing written by our co-founders. The whole like back quarter of our conversation here is the whole book is about that. And it's a it's a bestseller and really, you know, uh, game changing for marketers out there. Mm -hmm. And it was updated uh, not too long ago. The That's correct. Second edition's out. Uh, are there any uh, sales marketing books you're looking forward to digging into that you've heard about? Yeah, you know, I haven't even gotten to, to sell as human, believe it or not, by Daniel Pink. So I've got a vacation come up. I'm going to pick that one up. He's actually, we're fortunate to have him come into our inbound conference next uh, in September. We're going to have about 14,000 people here in, uh, in Boston. It's going to be an awesome event, and he'll be one of the speakers. So I'm excited to see him. How can listeners find out more about you and, and your book? Sure. At Mark Roberts. I'm pretty active on Twitter and on, on LinkedIn under Mark Roberts. The book's available um, you know, at Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble if you want to check it out. The name of the book is The Sales Acceleration Formula Using Data, Technology, and Inbound Selling to Go from Zero to $100 million. The author is Mark Roberge. Mark, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks, Douglas. That was fun. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. <laughs>